0: So every year, the European Law Students Association brings young people here to Strasbourg to practice in the Court of Human Rights at a moot court for students in training, young lawyers in training, people interested in human rights. And we have the great pleasure today in the podcast to welcome four of them, the team from Birmingham in the United Kingdom. They don't yet know how they've done, so they're just waiting in anticipation until the results are announced. We have with us Owen, Boussala, Annabelle and Conrad. And I'm really interested to know why they're inspired to come here and why they want to go and work in human rights. So let's kick off with Conrad. Tell me, why is it that you want to be here? And you're from a long way away.
1: Yeah, I'm from Australia originally. Um, the reason I like coming to these moot court competitions and particularly the one at the council is that it's a great way to engage with the convention outside of pure academic work and actually get stuck in and meet some of the other people from around Europe and compete with them in the law of the convention.
0: And this is the European Convention on Human Rights, of course, which is the text for the whole of the Council of Europe. And it means that every country in the Council of Europe has to respect the human rights of the people who live there. Annabelle, is that the same for you?
2: Yes um, I want to be a barrister in the future so obviously practicing in moot court competitions is excellent advocacy experience but particularly in human rights it allows me to engage in the practice area that I'm interested in and to learn more about the importance of human rights in the everyday context.
0: Boussala you're also from a long long way away and uh, what's brought you here and why is it that this inspires you?
3: For me, I want to be a human rights solicitor. And um, in the last semester of my study, I took the international human rights law, and that helped me to build um, significant academic knowledge. Participating in this, com- in this competition basically was an avenue to practically engage with really the things that I've learned, especially the fact that in the future I hope to work in the government as a human rights solicitor. And so you're helping me to see how government can be more accountable to human rights issues.
0: Right. Owen,
3: over to Owen now.
4: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty similar to what um, everyone else has said. I have quite a broad interest in different areas of law and human rights overlaps into each and every one of them. It was particularly interesting this year dealing with a case concerning climate change and how the convention may change to interpret that. Um, So it was really interesting to see how human rights can adapt and hopefully develop in different situations, particularly when we're faced with new challenges
0: yes that's a very interesting point Owen I've thought about a lot as well the interesting thing about the convention of human rights is it has different articles which pertain to different areas of life but it's become adaptable it's adaptable to today's problems so you as a younger generation will be taking it and, and using it flexibly so how do you think it's going to affect your work in the future I'll go to Annabelle first for that question
2: I think we can definitely expect a significant increase in climate litigation cases. We're seeing it already before the European Court of Human Rights. And in fact, the problem that we're uh, litigating in this competition is reflective of ones that are currently before the court, uh, such as the Portugal litigation. And so I think in the future, we're going to continually be stretched to find creative ways of adapting the convention to new problems. Climate change is a particularly difficult one um, re- relating to country attribution uh, to states so I think it will be ways how do we get around an attribution problem for a transboundary issue such as climate change and that's something really fun to to battle against
0: I can see you are really getting into the lawyer (laughs) world there do you want to tell us a little bit about the Portugal situation just for people who are not aware of it
2: Yep. So there is a case at the moment before the European Court of Human Rights. It's bought by um, young people in Portugal uh, against a number of states relating to how climate change is interfering with their rights, such as their Article 8 rights to respect for private and home and family life. So it's about how do we force states to take active measures to combat climate change so that future generations can continue to enjoy a healthy environment and continue to have the same uh, rights that other generations previous to them have had where there have been less significant effects of climate change.
0: So do you believe as a group, I'll probably give Conrad this question, do you believe then that a system like the convention, which, you know, is quite old really, I mean, dates back to the 1950s, 60s, can help generations to come in this way? Do you think it's a really successful way of dealing with the problems that new generations will face?
1: I think the court and the convention more generally, uh, the future of it will rely on how flexible it is and how well it can adapt to challenges like this. And I think for it to maintain its relevance, especially with the younger generation and to keep people engaged, it really depends on how it reacts to these challenges and how it adapts. And if if it successfully does so, then I think it really bodes well for the future of human rights and young lawyers in, in Europe if it really adapts to it quite well.
0: It seems to me, I must say, that you know I have w- worked in this area for quite a long time, but the hope I half is that younger generations realise that there's a way of protecting their human rights. They realise that there's a framework they can use. Um, do you think, then, that this can really help the new generation rebuild? We are now in a war, we've had confinement. Um, that's confinement in French. Um, I'll just take that question again because I got into French all of a sudden. So we've had, we've had uh, we're, we're at a period now where things are really changing, really mutating. And I, I really am interested to see if a new generation can take the convention and use it, especially in this time when we are facing a war. We've also had the coronavirus. Things are really quite difficult for people and will continue to be so. Do you think human rights will still be at the top of the agenda, Busela?
3: Definitely. And I think that that's one of the things that the um, that European Convention of Human Rights must begin to, must seek to achieve. And, you know, beginning with some of the things that we've engaged with in the course of this competition, in the sense that at the drafting of the convention, every problem in the world cannot be reasonably foreseeable. I mean, nobody thought at the time that the convention was drafted that there would be a coronavirus. However, like, the we must always look some of the mechanisms that the court has developed particularly its jurisprudence which is um, a guide where we can find principles that can be applicable at every situation i think that the jurisprudence of the court while it can still adapt and improve for young people to be able to assert their human rights um there are some elements and principles that currently exist in the case of the of the court and also that you know basically help us to interpret the convention right that they are still very useful even in today's um in world
0: Owen, you're from Ireland originally, although you're now in Birmingham studying. Um, What I'm interested in, of course, uh, Great Britain, uh, United Kingdom has left the European Union, and I get a sense that there's a a bit of a sort of anti-European feeling. Does that affect in any way in your generation the way that people look at human rights?
4: Um, From speaking to people in my generation, so a bit of a younger generation, um, if anything, I don't think it particularly negatively affects it. I don't think most people in our generation are happy with the way, uh, the UK is, is going towards the convention and the rest of the council of Europe. Um, I think of course there are elements of society who are happier with it in others, but as a general trend across, uh, our age, I mean, Particularly for people growing up in Ireland and Northern Ireland, we've seen a lot of the benefits of uh, of European cooperation through the ending of the Troubles in, in 1998, and we've kind of worked a lot towards a more peaceful future. So I don't think that anti cooperation sentiment is shared particularly well across across young people. I from from my own experience. Um, but from a personal opinion, I certainly, I certainly hope that, uh, that it isn't widely shared.
0: Me too, me too. So just as a last question, um, I'm interested to know, uh, is there one case, one story, uh, one of the, the court's cases that has inspired you particularly, that you know has really helped you to learn about human rights? Uh, Conrad's frowning, I think that's a tough question, huh? Just to be cruel, I'll go to you first.
1: Uh, Yeah, there's a lot of jurisprudence, which is particularly interesting. Um, One such case that we have relied on quite heavily during this competition was Budyeva and others versus Russia. And that's one of the more prominent um, cases of negligence on the part of the state with relation to uh, a flood in that case. Um, And that's been very important to engage with and see how we can make states accountable for things that would normally be considered natural disasters. But in many cases, particularly with climate change, we're starting to see that there is a causal link between the actions that we take more generally and effects on the weather and, and other natural disasters in a state.
2: Mm-hmm. How about you, Annabel? I think in a similar vein, I will use one that we have also relied on quite a lot, which is uh, Tatar versus Romania. And this relies to the application of what we call the precautionary principle. So it's essentially the principle that says in the face of in the absence of scientific certainty, states shouldn't be precluded from responsibility to take preventive measures and I see this principle as being key in in relation to your previous questions, how do we adapt the convention to respond to current problems we have to find ways of saying that a state can't be excused from liability to protect human rights simply because there's not 100% scientific certainty on the measures that should be taken, so we want states to use the precautionary principle to take their responsibilities seriously to protect human rights very good Pusala what about you
3: um, i would say the case of 18 and others against the united kingdom and that's because on in that case it was um, basically established that for there to be um for that for there to be finding a violation of certain convention right there has to be a direct and immediate consequence from environmental pollution in my opinion i don't think that's the approach that um, we should be working on especially for the fact that we know now that climate change is a result of cumulative um, impact and not um one-off events and so i think it's it's time for the court to rethink it jurisprudence particularly changing this particular principle. Interesting, interesting. Owen?
4: Um, I think for me there's two kind of quite interesting ones which we've discussed. The first one would be honour yielders against Turkey, uh, which kind of establishes that violations can be found even when the effects of the violation may not materialise until the future, which is particularly significant when it comes to issues of climate change in that greenhouse gases emitted today may not Really impact the atmosphere for another few decades. So I think it's that's quite an important piece piece of jurisprudence. Um, secondly, on top of that, I think the case of Demir and Bekara against Turkey uh, is going to be quite important, which allows the court to take additional elements of international law into account when interpreting the extent of obligations under the convention. So we we as applicants in in our competition relied on this. Uh, quite extensively to attempt to bring in other protocols such as the the um, Paris Agreement and the Kyoto Protocol and the UNFCC as a way to try and interpret convention rights in line with these treaties, particularly when individual applicants who've had their rights affected may not be able to bring claims under these treaties, whereas they would be able to under the European Convention. So I think it's particularly important mm-hmm. that the European convention is interpreted in line with these climate change treaties.
0: I think one thing you've shown is the complexity of the system and the fact that it can also be used. So I think there's hope for the future, optimism for the future. Um thank you very much for joining us in the podcast today and good luck for that result to come. Thank,
2: thank you very much. Thank you very much.